Let's, uh, let's go to God together. If you will, close your eyes and bow your heads. If you're um, comfortable and willing, will you just open your hands there before the Lord where you are? And I'm so moved this morning by God. God, it's an honor to be here in front of, in front of my friends and in your presence. And church, I just want to invite you just silently where you are, will you offer up a, a prayer of thanks, acknowledging God for his heart and his character and his nature, thank him for who he is. Will you uh, acknowledge before God and maybe confess and just offer up to him just a, a simple prayer of God today, less of me, more of you, and teach us what that's like, less of us, more of you. And I want you to lay before the Lord one person in your life, a relative, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, someone you know who is not living in a right relationship with Jesus. And I just want you to cry out to the Lord on their behalf today that God will inspire him, that he will stir within them affections for Jesus, and that he will give you courage in this moment to know how you can be a blessing to that person. Just lift that name up to the Lord. Uh, and God, thank you for uh, reminding me uh, this morning, today is not about me being spectacular or even being remembered. It is about Jesus being the front and center of it all. So lift up your name through me this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said, amen. amen. Uh, if uh, We're so glad for all the guests who are here today. I've already seen some faces I've never seen before. We're glad you're here. We, we want you to know that for us this, this morning, every time we come together, it's an event, and we plan for the event, but it's so much more than an event. It's an experience, and we put a lot of time and preparation into the experience, but it's more than an experience. We hope that the way you see us and hear us lifting up the name of Jesus, the way you see us singing songs that we want to make much of Jesus, and we want to express Jesus in a way that he is a movement. He is... He's this great adventure to enter into. So we've been in this study now for about six or seven weeks called Grow. Uh, and um, I've loved the feedback that some of you have given me, that some of you, what you're expressing to me is desires to grow. You've shared with me how you were growing. Some of you have shared in a form of a confession of ways that uh, you're struggling with how to be developed. So what I want to do next week and, and the next two weeks is I want to I offer some real practical, tangible things uh, that you can latch on to to help you abide with Christ, to help you. Because what I'm hearing from some of you is I, I want to know how to abide in, in Jesus, but I'm, I, I just need, I need help. Uh, give me some things to do. Give me ways to abide. So the next couple of weeks, next Sunday and the last Sunday in February, I want to do that. Um, I'm, I'm preaching this series, not just because I believe in growth, but it's coming from a deep place inside of me, deep convictions, not just as a disciple of Jesus, but as a person who interprets Scripture every week. Uh, for you that I'm helping bring before this church ways that God has touched down in my own life to teach me about what discipleship is all about. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm trying to lay in front of you this, that God wants so much more than just status change in your life or moving you to lost, to found, or unsaved, to save. That the same God that invites you into conversion is the God that Im invites you from a place of conversion into deep places of discipleship in life. Uh, and, and I know this is a struggle, and let me lay before you just a couple of images and metaphors and illustrations, and I know all these break down at some point, but sometimes it's helpful for me to think about the, the road with Jesus, this, this life of faith, that if, if zero is the point that we give our lives over to the Lord, and negative one through negative ten is as far away from God as you can be, 
Now, some of you right there would make an argument, well, if you're not connected to Jesus and you haven't given your life to Jesus and everyone from negative one to negative ten, you're, you're all disconnected. And I, I, I get that, but there, there's a stirring in some people, this knowledge of God that is awakening, that is pulling them closer and closer to giving their lives to Jesus. And then if you think about like plus one to plus ten as this person who's being developed and maturing and transformation, that transformation's happening in their life, uh, and I don't know where you would put yourself on a spectrum like that. If zero's conversion, negative one through negative ten, is being away from the Lord, having never given a life to the Lord, and plus one through plus ten is developing and maturing, I don't know where you would be. I just want the church to be really careful that the way we present Jesus to the world is not that Jesus is at zero, calling everyone from negative one to negative ten to come to him. That Jesus is there, calling people into relationship. But I want the church to do something more than present Jesus as the one who's only inviting people into a conversion moment. But we, Jesus is also at plus one through plus ten, inviting people into a deeper place to mature and to be developed and to grow in discipleship. It's been laid out before me uh, in a way, I, I don't know if some of you have been to Australia or not, but in the Australian outback, there are some people who own so much land that it's impossible for them to build a fence around all of their land. So they have livestock, they have cattle, and to build a fence is out of the question. So what some people do in the Australian outback who own thousands and thousands of acres is they, they, they dig a tank, a well, a little small body of water. And what they've learned is a livestock know that they cannot venture away from that body of water too far or they lose their source of life, their source of strength. So livestock, if, if you build a good tank, that the animals will stay close to it because they know it's their source of livelihood and survival. And I know that there are ways we can talk about the church needing some good rules. I'm not against rules. But can we promote Jesus as a center of it all? The people who know him, who have engaged him, have given their lives to him, won't venture too far away because they know he's the source of life. Um, I'm, I'm laying before you this series called Grow. Uh, because... Every day, the kingdom of God is on the line. And how the kingdom of God advances in the world, God is the one who builds his kingdom. We don't build his kingdom, God builds his kingdom. All right, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, how you and I are connecting to the vine may directly impact how this kingdom is advancing in Memphis and in the 901 and beyond that this week. All right, so a couple of weeks ago, I talked from John 15 about abiding in the vine. That God, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. You don't ever graduate from becoming the vine. Jesus is, is and will always be the vine. The church isn't the vine. A lot of times when I meet people and I'm engaging them in conversations about faith and I ask them questions, they respond with answers about the church. And it's not that I don't want to hear some stuff about the church, but the church isn't your source of salvation. The church is not what saves you. Jesus saves you. The church is a branch connected to the vine. The church isn't the vine. Jesus is the vine. And there are, there are a lot of people who gather in churches all the time who've never given their lives to Jesus and they think just being close to the vine is enough and that's not enough. That we've got to attach ourselves to the vine, give our lives to the one who is the vine. Being close to the vine isn't enough. Jesus tells parable after parable after parable, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, where he talks about that there are some who will acknowledge his name one day, like they will know him by his name, but they won't be allowed into the kingdom because knowing his name isn't enough. We attach to the vine, and when we attach to the vine, there is growth that comes from it. 
All right, so as I've been uh, researching it in the Bible uh, of some of the sermons I wanted to lay in front of you, I, I was struck by the use of the word milk in the New Testament. There are three places in the New Testament that talk about milk, uh, and, and they do it differently. Do you remember the God Milk campaign? I guess it's still going on a little bit, but do you remember seeing all the billboards with the God Milk front pages of magazines? You would have musicians and athletes and famous people who would have the milk mustache. I don't know if you remember some of these. Brett Favre did one way back in the 90s. You remember that? And I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, Brett Favre later on in his life did another one. If you go to that next one, here's Brett Favre later on in his life. <laughs> If you go to that next slide, Michael Strahan did one years ago, right? You see him on TV almost every day now. Uh, and on the front page of, on the front cover of GQ, there was a father's son not too long ago, if you go to the next one, who engaged in, in the God Milk campaign. Tonight are the Grammys. There have been musicians, if you go to the next one, famous musicians who've enjoyed the, the God Milk campaign. Years ago, there were younger people. If you go to the next slide, younger folks and teenagers who were doing this. And then even younger people a while back, if you go to the next slide, there are younger people like this who, who did them. And last but not least, even small children got involved in this. If you go to that last one, where you, sweet though, isn't that great? All right. <clears throat> Now, for those of you who are guests, most of those people on the screen were ministers of this church, all right? But, but let, me just, let me show you just a few different kinds of milk. All right, this, this is baby formula, but I wanted to stand just for a moment for natural milk. You would be hard-pressed to find anyone in heaven or anyone who, lives, who has ever lived on the face of this planet who has never had milk. It's what we are born into the world craving. Our natural milk, formula milk, as infants, we crave milk, right? It's what we have. Now, in heaven one day, there are going to be people who have never tasted Dr. Pepper. They're going to get it in heaven, all right? I'm pretty sure it's going to be there. There are people in the world today who have never tasted sweet tea from the South, and we feel sorry for them, and maybe it'll be in heaven one day. I don't know if you'll ever find someone who has not tasted milk. Now, most of us go into the store, and we don't just know milk by the name. We know it by the color, right? I, I mean, whole milk, uh, uh, let me just teach you a few things about milk this morning. Scholars are in agreement that whole milk is the kind of milk Jesus drank in, in the first century, all right? It may be thick, but this is so good. It, it's the milk I prefer. It may be a little thick for you, but it's the milk you will drink in heaven one day. I'm pretty sure of that, all right? On the other spectrum is the, the light, it's the skim milk. If you look in the Webster Dictionary under skim milk, what it says is straight up nasty, all right? That's, that's the definition, all right? You can quote me on that, all right? Don't go and look, just trust me. I know what I'm talking about, all right? I feel sorry for people who drink skim milk. I don't know anybody who started out their life saying, give me, I cannot wait to have skim milk. You convince yourself that you like skim milk, all right? Uh, if, if you drink skim milk and you got mad at me about that, don't go to another church this week because I'm making fun of skim milk. And the, in between, you have stuff like 2%. Right? As a family, we drink 2%. And, and then in between 2% and skim, you have 1%. This is for the people who can't go all the way to skim milk, right? It's like, I'll get as close as I can, but I've got to stop somewhere. And then in the, in the Old Testament, where it talked about a land flowing with milk and honey. In the Hebrew, it's referring to chocolate milk, all right? I'm <clears throat> pretty sure of that. All right? Now, there are a lot of other kind of milks I could put up here. There's, uh, you have muscle milk, and throughout life, I bet you have progressed on how you've tasted milk. 
you, you progress in, in, and it evolves and how you use milk changes. What you cook with, how you use milk to cook things. Most of us started out life with some kind of natural milk, maybe formula milk. And, and throughout life, the milk took on a new meaning for us. It still is. There are three places in the New Testament that talk about milk. I want to take you through each one of these. I want to show them on the screen. I want to read the passage. I want to point out a few things, but I want you having your Bible open in front of you, whether it's on the, the, the a printed word, if it's on the phone, and I want you to look, look at these three passages that I read them, and you be wrestling with it on your own. What does it say about milk? And how do people use milk? How do they talk about milk in the Bible? And what does it mean? So you be asking some of those questions of yourself. And let me point out a few things. Uh, and let's, let's see what God does with us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is the first one I want to read this morning. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is writing to a church that he spent a lot of time with, the people of Corinth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first three verses of chapter 3 go like this. <clears throat> and so, brothers and sisters... I cannot speak to you as, a, as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you, not re- you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, and you are, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? All right, so how does 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3 talk about milk? What you have in this church, you have people who the Holy Spirit lived in them. These are people who had given their lives over to the Lord, but they still weren't living as if they were under the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is why in Ephesians 5.19 it says, you need to pray, cry out to God to be filled with the Spirit. Even though people have already been filled with the Spirit, they weren't living under the influence of the Spirit. You can probably identify places in your life that still aren't under the influence of the Spirit of God in your life too. So these are people who knew the Spirit. They knew God. They had given their lives to Jesus, but they're still living as, as if they were these infants. Now, being an infant isn't a problem. Right? I mean, after all, we were born as infants. Infants aren't a problem. The problem is when people take a, their first step of faith, but they never move beyond that to maturity. Right? So remember, Jesus, if he is just as passionate about people after conversion as he is, getting to, to a point of conversion, the church should be just as passionate about people after their conversion as we are in people before they are converted. Being a babe in Christ is not a problem, no matter what age you are. So we can't expect a 55 or a 60-year-old who gives their their lives over to the Lord at an older age to one week later be functioning like they are a fully mature follower of Jesus. Being a babe in Christ isn't the problem. The problem is when there's a babe in Christ, and I don't even think the problem is for people who struggle with being developed into Jesus... The problem is with people who've given their lives over to Jesus and they've taken the first step of faith, yet they do not see a need for development. And the church has to be careful about this too, that we don't lift up Jesus or talk about Jesus in a way where we make it sound like there's no need for development or like development is optional. For someone who has given their life over to Jesus, Jesus is inviting them graciously into a deeper place. And it's at the pace of God. It's not at the pace of your preacher. It's not at the pace of an elder. It's not at the pace of a church. It's the pace of God inviting you to deeper places. Um, I came across a story uh, this past week of uh, there was this, this church, and they, they had like this retreat, and at the retreat, what they did is they handed everyone pipe cleaners. 
And they gave them 10 or 15 minutes to go and with those pipe cleaners, they wanted people to form a piece of art that described their relationship with God. And there was this middle-aged man who took all of his pipe cleaners and what he formed was a cradle. And when it came time for him to express what that piece of art meant, what he said to the whole group is, I am a Christian who has never grown. And this is my story. Now, God can do something with that confession, right? Like I taught a few weeks ago, I don't think God will ever look at someone who looks to him and says, God, I have failed to develop. I don't feel like I'm developing. I don't think God ever looks at that and says, well, you passed the point. Like you're beyond development. Anyone who comes to the Lord to be developed and to be mature, God wants to take that and do something with it. So in 1 Corinthians 3, you can read in verse 3, there are specific things that are keeping those people as infants. And it is, it's strife, it's jealousy, it's quarreling. And if you go on to read 1 Corinthians, this was keeping people from maturity. You had people in the church, they were suing each other, there was sexual immorality, they were engaging with uh, prostitutes, you had... Um, you had worship wars breaking out. And wherever in a church there's that kind of jealousy and quarreling development, there, it, there's, it, it is stunning. It's, it's hard for maturity to happen. Right? Have you seen this before in churches? Where we can start arguing over old hymns and new songs and, uh, and worship orders and what time to worship, does worship begin? And Jesus is the one who gets left out. Right? So you got to move beyond those things. So the way 1 Corinthians 3 talks about milk is you got to move beyond milk to maturity. All right, flip over to Hebrews chapter 5. Here's another place where it talks about milk. Hebrews 5, verse 11 through 14, it says this. All right, about this, now you may need to go home and read more of the context all around it, okay? I don't have time to unpack all of Hebrews or Hebrews 5. But Hebrews 5, 11, about this, we have much to say that is hard to explain since you have become dull in understanding. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic elements of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Now make a note of this in your Bible, where it says dull of understanding, that is literally being dull in the ears, all right? I'm not suggesting that spouses in this room use this against each other, all right? Like you are dull in the ears, you are not hearing, but that's what Hebrews 5 is saying, like you are not hearing what, what you're supposed to be hearing about the gospel and how it's helping you mature. Now their problem is, and, and, and the churches that Hebrews is, is addressing is that you have longtime Christians. And, and these longtime Christians, um, they weren't reproducing. They're still stuck on the ABCs of faith. They're in elementary school. Instead of multiplying what it means to be a follower of Jesus. All right, so how Hebrews 5 talks about milk is that milk should be nurturing you in a way where you develop and you mature and you move beyond milk to solid food so that, and there's a big so that in Hebrews 5, so that you are able to teach and coach up others, like equip them and bring them up into Christ too. And the problem was these people were stuck on elementary stuff about faith to the point where they were not reproducing, they were not multiplying. Milk should help nurture us to develop and to mature so that we realize that Jesus isn't something we keep to ourselves, but we reach a place of maturity where now we can pour into others to help them understand the deep truths about God too. Uh, 
maturity, with maturity, comes great responsibility. And I don't want you to shy away from maturity because you don't want responsibility. Because this is what we want for our kids, right? I mean, for the next generation, if we buy them anything they want and cater to all of their needs and all of their wishes and never give them responsibility, what's going to happen to that kid when they turn 18 and 19? With maturity comes great responsibility. Jesus tells a lot of parables about this, right? That Jesus empowers and equips and gives responsibility to his followers uh, because we serve a God who values working relationship and partnership. So in Hebrews 5, milk is about you reaching a point in faith where now you are able to pour into others. Casey does, uh, does this with our boys for uh, a couple of years ago, which she did during communion for a long time. Is she would, they, when communion came around, uh, Truett and Noah were encouraged by Casey to take the bread and they were supposed to go find someone in this church that they could share the bread with. And what Casey was teaching Truett and Noah at the time is that Jesus is so good that we are not keeping him to ourselves. Jesus is meant to share. And Hebrews 5 is teaching us this. With maturity comes people who don't just keep him to ourselves. You grow beyond that to where now you're able to invest in others. Now, flip over to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. And this is the, the third place in the New Testament where it talks about milk. And all of these um, references to milk are encouraging forms of growth in the lives of people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Verse 1 and 3, it says this. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and guile and sincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, the way Peter talks about milk is that milk is for all believers, and it's to be craved. All right, so the way he talks about milk isn't that you go beyond milk, but it's realizing that as believers, this is something we crave, just like infants do. Now, infants, when they are born into the world, they have very few cravings. The menu for an infant is very small. Right? They're not to the point where if they develop, well, I like Mexican food, but I don't really like Italian food, right? Like infants, their menu is very small. The older we get the more things we're introduced to. And cravings are being pulled this way and that way. And here, Peter's saying, hey, for all of you, for every believer, you crave it just like infants do. Now, it's not just believing, it's it's living it. It's not just confessing with your mouth, it's living it. Now, 1 Peter 2, what he begins with is there are things you need to rid yourself from in order to have room to crave. And there are very specific things he lays out of things you need to rebuke so that there's room for you to take on something else. So your cravings are directed in the right kind of way that they're not misdirected. And he starts out as if saying, look, sin deprives us of God's best, so don't play around with sin. Rebuke it so that you can move on. And in verse 3, it says, you can taste, or because we have tasted, and we have seen that the Lord is good. I read about a missionary who is in a, a place in the world where it was like this spreading the gospel was a, was a big challenge. And, he, and a lot of times when he would mention Jesus to people, his message was rejected. People didn't want to hear it. But he found this, this one way that he would, he would try to get into the lives of people is he would encourage them and say, before you outright reject Jesus, will you just read him? Study him. Just read 
the book in the Bible, the book's called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and taste him for yourself. And after exploring who he is, then you can make a choice whether you want to accept him or reject him. Will you just taste him and see if the taste is good or bad? And people would take him up on it. And it wasn't 100%, but there were people who would study Jesus and they would taste and they would come out saying, this is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to ask the shepherds, if you will, will you go to your places? The prayer leaders who are going to receive people, will you go to your places? And as they're going, because I want you to see where they are, so you can go to any of these people for prayer. In 1 Peter 2, in verse 4, what it says is, as you come to him, some of your versions say come to him as if it's a command. This isn't an imperative. This isn't a command. In 1 Peter 2, 4, it is as you are coming to him, as you're in the process of coming to him, this living stone, they're rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is the cornerstone. All right, and as we sing a couple of songs today about the goodness of God, I want you to think about how he is the cornerstone that holds everything in your life together. And some of you are in a place today where you need to ask God for your marriage to be reminded Jesus is the cornerstone. He's not just the roof over your head. He's not the shade next to your house. He is the cornerstone that your life, your relationships, your job, your joy has to be built on. And around this room, you see places where if there's anything, we can pray over you for Jesus to be your cornerstone. Things in, in your life you need to reject. If you don't even know what it is you need, you just feel a hunger. I want you to be able to go to these places to receive a word from the Lord, a blessing from God, a prayer from God. And if there's anything in your life that you want to bring in front of the church over here, John French is to my right. would love to receive you. For those in this room who have never given your life to Jesus, we would love to celebrate this day with you. And if there's something you want this church to be praying for, come up here to my right. Let's stand together. Let's sing some songs and feel free.